Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, you know who the fuck we are. It's on the fucking front page of our website if you're checking us out for whatever reason. We're awesome like that, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, possibly, sort of. <laughs> but we're getting into character creation today, and it is I, your host, Game Goblin, along with... Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. And the other dude... Kazakhan, the Lord Dragon. And Moniker is out for real-life essential employee needs. That bastard's making a paycheck. Poor sod. Well, out of the four of us, you know, at least we can be happy for him. <laughs> truth, truth. <laughs> you know, he didn't have one going into COVID, so. Yeah, and getting a job right now is really fucking hard, so. Mazel tov. That's right. Yeah, at least the three of us actually had jobs before, and as far as I know, all three of us still have them now. That's right. Currently? Uh, probably for the next week, maybe two, I don't know. Fuck. I mean, who knows these days. Hey, at the rate things are going, you know, um... Woo, since... second wave coming, another month of shutdown. Yeah. Another month of limbo. Uh, no, that won't be limbo, shit. that will be shutdown permanently. That will be big business cannot comply. I don't know. I mean... Isn't this a role-playing podcast? Yeah. Yes, and I'm playing the role of a dwarf. A dwarf. Yeah, you know. Short. Has lots of uh, shiny stones on him at all times. Um, okay, Kind well, of a... A dwarf. Has a beard. <laughs> uh, that sounds pretty racist. What if your dwarf identifies as a space princess? You can be a space princess with a beard, you fucking sexist. Oh, I, oh, no, 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 dude. I am not sexist because my current character right now is actually an Egyptian princess from space. And her uh, pronoun is mistress. <laughs> the only problem, though, is that she's transabled and she doesn't talk. And it's legit on the character sheet. She doesn't talk. Uh, everybody gets her pronoun wrong, so she just beats the shit out of them. Because she's strong and independent space Egyptian princess. <laughs> Doesn't take shit from nobody. Doesn't take shit from nobody. <laughs> I'm covering all the bases on this one. So, <laughs> I just gotta get all those oppression points. Every one of so them. So if anyone is still listening, uh, we are going <laughs> to go over different forms of character creation. Because between the three of us, I can think of at least six different systems we've all created a character in. Abs-fucking-lutely. Yep. So, uh, I think one of the best ones to start everyone out with is the normie, is the basic, the D20 system. The six stats, you know, you got your pluses, your minuses, all your stuff adds up together. Uh, what would you guys say is the most interesting way you've seen it done for standard D20? Now, are you talking, like, stat arrangement? Are you talking... How you get your stats, like point by, or what's the weirdest rolling system you've done for trying to get stats? Because stats are always a thing that end up with your character. Now, later we will be talking about the tri-stat system, which I love. But there's a couple different ways people have done it, different names they've called things. But what's some of the different ways you guys have gotten your numbers? I hate the point by system as a player. 
Uh, I'll just say that right out because as a player, you know, rolling three sixes for your strength stat when you're planning on playing a warrior or rolling three sixes for your rogue when you're playing, you know, planning on getting that dex jacked up is awesome as shit. It's, but no, well, my dice rolls. It's going to be three, three, six, seven, three, two, nine, twelve, <laughs> or something. It'll be some shit numbers. And then you'll get like that one player who rolls like super phenomenally good. They'll get like two 17s, a couple of 15s, a 16, and an 18. You're like, how? And you know, you've seen them roll it right in front of your face, and you're like, the fuck? And the worst part is when they're the exact same dice you just lent them because they forgot their dice. Exactly. It's like, um, you mother, you traitorous motherfuckers, you just went off the first person? Fuck you. You're supposed to be my dice. What the hell? <laughs> it's kind of like having a girlfriend and leaving over at somebody else's place. You don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you're raising a baby with an eye color different than you or the mom. Mmm. <laughs> That's happened to so many of my bards. <laughs> anyway, um, as far as the D20 system goes, though, point by makes more sense. So even as a player, I don't josh it as much as I used to. And it makes sure that all the players start out on a fairly even and balanced playing field so they can still tailor their character to the class they want to play or the style of character they want to play yeah and there's you know there's some serious merit to easing your dm's burden by not having that one player who's got the horribly jank stats yep absolutely and you know and this comes from being on both sides of that i've been the guy with horribly jank stats both good and bad it makes things interesting if you are able to play it up right but at the same token, it makes the DM's life a living hell because they have to balance around you and then the rest of the party. Uh-oh, he's been listening in while we were running game last week. <laughs> I mean, that too. You know, there's there's also been quite a few memes going around in the various uh, D&D groupings that are like, Oh, my AC is like 26, you can't touch me. Hmm, well, let's just see. Dex check. Crunch. Mmm, psychic damage, mmm, crunch, blah, 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 blah. There's, there's so many ways around it, but at the same time, if you built a character for a purpose, and then that purpose is too good at what it does, it janks the entire rest of the party. Quickly. Very quickly. Um, one of the ways that I found is I like having stats... so. For a set of six stats, you would roll as though you had a seventh. It gives players a little bit more variety. So you can pick, you know, hey, I got this really high roll here, but the rest of my stats are also pretty high. I'm going to toss this high roll, you know, said the very few players ever, to make it a little bit more balanced for the GM, or I really, really don't want that eight. Five. It, it gives a little bit of Dude, that's eightist. It's, it's... <laughs> Blast over there. He's, he wants to hit me so hard right now. Don't you do beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of what would be a numberist. He's a numerologist. <laughs> a hater of numbers. But, you know, what I found... Well, this... We have to be a thing of, like, he hates single digits. <laughs> oh... Hey, man. Here's a single digit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm flipping you it's off. It's so now. small. Hey, it's cold in here. 
But what I found... Whoever draws a short straw. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, come on now, guys. You're being heightest. I'm not the shortest one here. <laughs> Gnome lives matter. Gnome <laughs> lives matter. Hell, I still have pictures of when you, Blasphemous, rolled for a campaign that I wanted to start and then never got off the ground because I suck. They were phenomenal stats. And they were, as, you know, Goblin was using like his example. 218s. 218s, a 17, a 16, or something like that. You had some crazy high rolls. And it was all on the same line, because you have that weird way of doing it where you don't just roll for having an extra. You roll, like, grids and blocks, and it's like 7 by 7, so that you can always find your spot. And I just had the best line of rolls ever. Yeah, he wound up, like... If that character had made it to game, I would have been the one balancing around his character because of just how the stats played out. It I was, was playing a bard! Yeah, and it would have been great. But at the same time, I still never really got that campaign off the ground, both literal or figurative. So, there you have it, that's on my part. But it was exactly the case where Goblin mentioned, you know, you roll shitty, and then you hand your dice to the next guy because he doesn't have any right now. He went, Blasphemous was using my dice, and he rolled out a boss, boss grid. Still don't know how. I don't know, but as far as the rest of the sheet goes, I mean, once you get your, your stats figured out and everything, I actually like the D20 system layout the way it is. It's actually retro in some ways, uh, especially when you select your class and they give you the skills and abilities of that class. It actually heralds back to some of the older games... Uh, when you were doing character building, where they would just give you a preset number of skills. The changes they made to the skills, I mean, there are some little wibbly-nibbly rules in there that are kind of not really needed. I understand why they're there, and you know, like when you put a skill one point into, say, your performance skill, and you are a bard, and then you get like a plus three modifier on top of that just for taking that skill as part of your class skills. That just adds an extra layer of rules on top of character creation, which actually makes it just slightly more complex. And if you add just enough little bit more complex rules to a character creation system, it becomes fucky. Yeah, complexity brings with it all sorts of fuckeriness. And that's, you know... What was it? Occam's Razor? When thinking of a solution, the simpler one is typically right. Yeah. Because it has less failure points. That's... That is the fundament of, of keep it simple, stupid. Well, on a sim, because uh, the D20 system is actually uh, loosely based off of the original uh, TSR system, the old Thaco system. <laughs> and the Thaco system actually did give birth to the Palladium system. And the Palladium system, again, I found rules in that one just here recently that I had not known about for 25 years. Right. Like the first time I had this book was like first printing and I'm like looking through it and stuff. And that rule is I didn't see it in the book. And I'm only thumbing through the other day and I'm like, wait, you can only select certain skills as your background skills. What? I say what? So like everybody at my table made their character wrong. <laughs> For years. For years. I made so many wrong characters. It's like, oh yeah, you can only take these special skills as your secondary skills. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, like, you could, with the, especially with the power of the internet, 
nowadays and the power of being able to go out and get tutoring in certain skills yeah you're not going to be the best at it but there are guys out there who will teach you blacksmithing you know like legit old school style they're out yep. there you just have to make the right contacts and shit so why not have a character with that as a secondary skill i say i mean God damn it yeah I've, I've met people who actually taught blacksmithing i took one of those classes in at summer camp as a boy scout long ago but like Blacksmithing was a thing. Yeah, it's not like classes on veterinary sciences or forensics don't exist, because they do. You know, and especially like... And I know we're not sponsored by them, you know, the obligatory message and everything and all that stuff, but there are websites like Skillshare out there where if you want to learn something, they have somebody to tutor you on practically anything. And when I was looking through the rule book, you know, when it says, oh, you can't take these skills, I'm just like, screw you, dude. Screw you. This book was written before the internet. Neener, neener. But as far as the D20 system is concerned, uh, the skills in that is predominantly pretty much the same story. I don't actually like the limitations they put on skills with skill points. I understand it from a balance aspect. But when you're creating a theme character, it actually is very limited. It's, it's weird because if you create a numbers character, if you're trying to, what's the power gaming word for, optimize your character, no problem. The points they give you, you allot everything in a specific order. You have your built laid out and it's very logical and you are prepared your character you know what skill points you're putting where for the next three to four levels before you even hit that so gm's like oh you hit level two and you're the first motherfucker done at the table going all right my character's leveled up because you already have this shit planned out whereas a theme character it's a lot harder with the skill system like d20 has because you're like god what would my character learn? You're thinking about it from more of a psychological aspect, and the points are really limiting because you're like, well, shit. Uh, my character can't take up the skills they want to, but let's see. Do I take animal grooming or boat building? Right. It's, it, it is sort of in that, that sort of gray zone because it's like, on the one hand, you've got a path. You're walking that path, and it's, you know, very railroady. In your own, like, you built that path, it's what you're gonna walk, you know? Versus something organic. Like, the difference between a stairway <laughs> versus a uh, goat trail. You know, they'll still get, to, get you to the same place. And, and even the going... most optimized army will die to a goat trail. Yeah, mm. kind of. Those things don't care. Um... Uh, yeah, actually, that was work. actually making a historical reference there, Dave. Yeah, that was, uh... Fuck. Uh, Hannibal, right? No, it was the Spartans. Oh, right. Yeah, the goat yeah. trail is what got them killed, wasn't it? Yeah, the goat trail at Thermopylae. Yeah. What was the one that uh, Hannibal used after he crossed the Alps in winter with elephants? Oh, that was, um... Shit, Manhattan. Man, the fucking... No, I'm just kidding. That was Mount Shasta. I don't think that's even right. No, it isn't. <laughs> I, I am honestly trying to remember my fucking ancient Roman history. It'll come back later. Yeah, but... With the rest of the topic. Yeah, right. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, the Tristat system, of course. You want to rant about that. That's a pretty lovely system, in my opinion. I mean, I, I just really enjoyed it because... It was super simple. You have this set number of points. You spend these points to increase the stat number in one of three stats. 
and there's so many different ways you can do that and have a character be unique. I was just having a conversation earlier today with my girlfriend's brother about why 5e sucks in my opinion because I tried to learn it when it was brand new and it didn't make any sense so instead I went and learned Pathfinder and Pathfinder makes a lot of sense. I don't like 5e because the 5e is almost... I mean, 4 gets a lot of shit, deservedly so, and 5 isn't much better. It's kind of the difference between playing a knockoff of pen and paper Final Fantasy, the mobile, the MMO version, and then realizing that when you pick up 5e, you're just basically playing Fable, and the game plays itself. Yeah, where it's not, here's how you make a character, it's here's your character sheet. Like yeah. pre-generated, here's your cookie cutter. And the the discussion came down to, oh, well, you got to get all the other books. And it's like, but oh, I brought up the discussion we've had many times on the podcast and off about, all right, so I am someone who has $50. I can either spend that $50 on one book or I can not decide between the two books in order to do the thing I want to do. To which point he brought up the um, everything's just online. I re- uh, rebutted with, well, I'm not going to pirate anything. To which he says, well, it's all official. And I'm like, you need to pay people for their labor and all the stuff they do. That's how they know that you like a thing. And that's why I buy most of Pathfinder 1.0 books because I like them. Yeah. You know, you got to support. Yeah, it, it's like why I don't buy, you know, fucking shit from blizzard or ea or a lot of stuff like that because i do not want to support them but the shit i do want to buy um you know i will especially you know with things going on right now this is when it's crucial of do you show your support for a a product a, a company that makes a thing and for gaming you gotta be down to throw some cash out to get yourself some books you know, to have the actual physical books. Because, yes, a lot of people are stuck with just online gaming. But when it comes to the system, it needs to be unique enough for you to be able to make something. Um, and it, it's more than just the numbers on your sheet or the way you play the character. And the tri-stat system, I felt, was just so interesting in how you could play the archetypes and have a, a dozen different number combinations in your stat blocks. I really do love the the tri-stat system, too, myself, personally. And most of that stems from the fact that once you get to the tri-stat system, you can just walk right into it, basically. The learning curve is really simple. Character build, once you get the basics down, is super easy. Like, even the newest player can walk in, look at the tri-stat system, and be like, what kind of character do I want to play? Go through the rule set. And in the afternoon, they can sit down with their character ready for game session one and pretty much have everything in their head already nailed down. It The learning curve is super simple in TriStat. Which then anyone who loves 5e will just be like, oh, well, you can pick up 5e with a couple friends and uh, have your character ready in like two hours. You can, but it takes a little bit more to wrap your head around. Most of us have the horrible bias of being already invested in gaming by the time we've gotten to 5e. And for those that don't, it is a great introductory system to the concepts. But, you know, there are limits to it, and among those limits is player creativity. 
Well, one of the other limits, too, that I'm really finding, uh, and I, I used to say this back at the game store when uh, I was behind the counter, especially when they came out with 4th Ed, uh, <laughs> is that the fact that they keep coming out with a new system every few years, like a five to seven year loop, like uh, they're coming out with a new fucking console for Sony or some shit, and the working class person has a limited amount of funds they can dedicate to anything that they have going on, fast food, utilities, bills, and equal things. When you get to entertainment, which is pretty much a low priority on anybody's uh, totem pole, when they're thinking, shit, do I want to eat or do I want to play D&D? Food's going to win out. Because yeah. a grumbling belly does not shut up. So I, I really hate the fact that they keep coming out with new books, and every time they come out with a new iteration, it's a new rule set you've got to learn. And, of course, with uh, Dungeons & Dragons, you've got the core tri uh, tribunal of books, the GM's Guide, the First Monster Manual, and the Player's Guide. And just going on a rough average here, they're about $45 each. Plus or minus, yeah. Just plus or minus. We're, we're just going on a rough average here. Uh, every few years, you got to buy these three books, and, of course, they keep coming out with new supplements, new class books, new bestiary books, new adventure paths. All these new books that keep coming out, and they're roughly about $30 to uh, $50 each, depending on which book it is and the, the setting theme and all that shit that goes with it. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at a hefty investment, and then finally, once you get a very good library built up, they come out with a new edition, and you got to start all over again because they no longer support the old rules. That is such a bullshit maneuver, and 5e is basically just continuing this bullshit maneuver... Even though 4 just practically just came out not too long ago, and before that, 3.5 had come out not too long before that. <clears throat> just, yeah, I, I, I fucking hate the way they do that, and at least the tri-stat system, because that's our, our focus topic here for the moment. <clears throat> Even though I've completely taken the bicycle else, elsewhere. He's looping around. Don't no, I'm worry. looping around. But looping around back to the tri-stat system, at least with the tri-stat system... You haven't had that change. That's another thing, is it's got ease of learning and you haven't had that change. So I could go out and buy a TriStat book right now, and it will still gel with the older TriStat books. And it will also gel into the future, most likely. Yeah, so you got the same system. So even if they update a setting or come out with a new variant where you're playing teenage schoolgirls, you still have the core system, which is going to be compatible with your giant robot setting that you ran four or five years ago. Yeah. There is that. There is that indeed. Now, I think you had a few other systems in mind. Well, I mean, there's always the, uh, was it the Pocket RPG D6 system? Um, God, it's been a while, but... Uh, uh, what was it? Laser Metal? D and Dizzle? Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to remember how it goes. I believe it was you rolled your two D6s and that's just your stat. You had like four or five stats. You didn't have the full six. And it was just an interesting way of doing it. And I mean, I don't like point. Oh, there he goes. I, I called it. <laughs> I've been up for hours and hours. Um, See, I called it. All right. So I, I don't like the point by system all the time because it can make for characters with super samey stat blocks like the two times we've done it now for the online my characters have had almost all the exact same stat blocks except one of them their dump stat is, 
dump stat is strength. The other one, the dump stat is charisma, and they literally ended up with the same numbers. It's a balance tool. That's that's exactly why point by exists. It's a balancing tool for the entire party. Everyone's going to be approximately the same tierage, just where they specialize is on there is their choice. Yeah. And then there is a nightmare because I I just need to get this off my chest. Oh boy. Okay. Then there's the nightmare of the Palladium system. With the most horrible setup for rolling up a character. <laughs> uh, well, maybe not the most horrible. There's actually worse games out there. Um, like Rollmaster, I'm going to make a character and they die during character creation. Well, fuck me running. <laughs> now I just got to throw all my notes out and throw my character sheet out and get a brand new one. Because I died during character gen. Done fucked up. Fuck that okay i mean i mean I, I do like some reality in my games with jesus christ but the palladium system uh when you open the core book it's up to, i think page 180 before you get to the actual character classes and then of course you know when you're looking for skills like i i understand some of the, the thinking behind it but at the same time i don't because usually when they have the, the first page they're like okay check you know, select your RCC, your racial class, and then select your OCC, if applicable, your occupational class, and then select, you know, this shit that goes with your OCC, skills and abilities and all that stuff. And it's usually laid out in the book in order of the character building process. Palladium takes these rules and throws them out the window. It says, flip backwards and forwards through a book about 20 times over the course of several hours. And you'll have a character. And we're, we're talking section blocks, not like, oh, I need to reference this thing on page 3 and this thing on page 17. No, it's this entire section is skills. And we're going to have to flip back here 5 and 20 times. Yeah, it's a very convoluted process. Kazrakan has just gone through it recently with uh, session 0. That and was full brain melt. Like, I, was, I told by the end guys. of it, it was a six-hour session, and at the end of it, full brain melt. I told you guys, creating a risk character for the first time is a super complex deed. And I was, the, and this is actually really important. No matter what system you're using, I specifically said we're going to do a character building session, session zero, because the GM, this is my system. I know my shit when it comes to Palladium, except for, of course, secondary skills, apparently, now. Um... <laughs> However, I know the system, and a GM needs to know their system first off. They, and a session zero is really important, so they can handhold with the more complex systems and help everybody through it at the same time and keep everybody on the same page. At Palladium, of course, now you can see why I did it with that system. Because if I just handed you the book and said, all you need to know is in these books, make a character come back next week, you would have come back like, oh, I rolled my stats and I got lost. I, could, I, I that's that's as far as I got. I have no yeah. idea what else this means. Yeah, you would have rolled your stats. You would have like picked an OCC and some skills and been like, I think I got this. What what's my carry lift capacity? Uh, what strength table am I on? Uh, what's the table for my uh, these skills here? <laughs> Just all over the place. So insane. And like I legitimately could not have parsed that without the assistance of the GM. And I have a fair bit of experience delving into rules and figuring out what the hell they're talking about. Palladium, my hat's off to you, because that's impressive to stump me. I, I, I kind of think when Symbietta was writing up the original draft, he would write it up in chapter sections that was on his mind, 
So he's like, okay, we need to get to OCCs. And he writes up that chapter section and he puts it aside once it's completed. And then he writes up another chapter section. And yes, the sound on the microphone is Darth Blasphemous snoring. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Hey, you've been up since 10 p.m. last night. We don't yeah. blame you. Yeah, so whatever, dude. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's like he wrote the different sections. Like he decides, oh, I'm going to write the skill section. And then he writes the you know, vehicles and combat section. And then he goes back and goes, you know what? I need to actually write the section and put out the tables for your attribute skills. And then just kept laying them on top of each other in a hodgepodge mishmash of shit. And then finally he's like, yeah, we're just going to take all these, bind it together, and publish the book now. Without sorting the sections into something more coherent. It's okay. They'll figure it out. It's all there. What's the point? Just it's all there. They'll figure coke. it out. Just put, a ship couple, it. just put a couple staples in it and ship it. <laughs> um, I, I am would a not fan. be surprised. I, I would not be surprised if that's what happened. <laughs> and the weird part is, like, the later books that come out all follow a formula. And as you go through the world books and the, the expansion books, you can see there's a definite formula. There's the introduction. There's some of uh, the races and lore that's presented or whatever they are now in, in far as D&D terms go. But in Palladium, there's still races because... I don't care what anybody says. An Valen Robojockey, a Naruni, and a human are three distinct separate species. Yeah, sounds about right. And if anybody buys Naruni, I feel sorry for them. Because <laughs> they're basically owned by a corporation because they have great financing, excellent uh, payment options, you know, financing. And, and Up to and including your soul and or blood. We'll figure it out as we go. That's... Uh, not your soul and your blood, but they own planets. <laughs> they own planets because they sold weapons to planets who forfeited on their debts. And what happens when a super powerful mega corporation of aliens who all make your guns decide that they're going to invade and collect on said debt? Suddenly your weapons stop working. Beep. Kill you, switch. Yep, yeah, they kill switch all your weapons and then just walk in and take it. Like, nope, this is mine now. And you've Click. already beat Bam. the crap out of your opponents, and your opponents have beat the crap out of you, so you're already in a weakened state. So if you if you do not forfeit on your debts, if you pay up, you're good. But if you forfeit, they will just walk in and take everything and claim it in lieu of payment. Fucking Naruni. Uh, Sounds but about right. I, I don't care what they say. A Splugorth is a different race than a human. It's just... Uh, but the, the thing, though, um, going back to Palladium, though, is uh, through the world books. Uh, when you're reading through the world books, they follow kind of a specific formula. You can kind of get a feel for where everything is. And you kind of have, like, this premeditated knowledge as to where things are going to be in the next book. It may be off a little bit here or there. But for the most part, you're like, oh, if I crack the book open about three quarters of the way in, I'm going to be at a, the equipment section. Plus or and minus. Plus or minus. And typically, whenever you crack open any of the world books, that you have that formula. The first book, no formula whatsoever. None. See, None. now, this actually reinforces the theory. Because what this says is, like, it went to print once, and the editors looked at it and went, okay, you're not allowed to do this in this sort of format again. We're setting up a format for you. Stick to it. I feel... I, I To his credit, I don't even think Symbiota had editors... But his writing skills are definitely, despite the fact that he's a raging plagiarist, and 
I'm sure if we ever met each other in person, we would share some very harsh words and glares and, and poking and stuff because, and he'll win. He'll win. No doubt about it. He'll be able to poke me in the ribs and be like, hey, have you built a gaming company? And I'll be like, oh, you got me, boss. <laughs> um, but he is a raging plagiarist. But to his credit, he does have a really good writing style, except for the overuse of exclamation marks. And as much as I hate to give Palladium credit, I mean, for making one of my favorite games... I bought some games from them, I think I mentioned this recently, and they actually sent me a personalized note, handwritten note, in the mail with my books. And I have never had that happen with any other game company I bought books from, where they actually write me a handwritten note and wish me well in my uh, upcoming campaign. They're like, hey, it looks like there's going to be a lot of combat starting up and conflict in your game. You know, wishing you well, blah, blah, blah. And it was like one of the uh, shipping clerks or somebody there. I, I can't remember the name right off the bat. But they signed it with their own name and everything. And I'm like, that is cool as fuck. Right? D&D has never done that for me. Marvel has never done that for me. Well, White Wolf has never done that for you. But Palladium actually puts in a personalized note. So they're paying attention to what's going on with their shipments. I'm like, that is cool as fuck. So plus 1.2 Palladium books for excellent customer service on that part. Right? Like, today, I picked out of the mail a piece of mail addressed to me. It was a handwritten thank you card for a drugstore for when I got four, actually six teeth pulled out of my face. I wasn't even the one who went into the store. <laughs> I was still very stoned out of my gourd at that point. That's what they do when you That's put what you, they do. That's uh, what hey, happens when you get put under. A handwritten note can go a long way, and apparently uh, our moderator for today's session has fallen asleep again. Uh, so continuing on with game systems, I believe I'm going to have to hold the reins here with the horse a little bit and bring up the next system. And I do not know if you have familiarity with this one. You might. Have you tried the Fazrip system? You've mentioned it a couple of times, but I really don't think I've gotten anything to sink my teeth in on that. Well, I, the reason I bring the Fazrip system up is... I know you have experience with similar systems, and the Fazrip actually was my introduction, along with Call of Cthulhu, to percentile-based skill systems, which are among my favorite, personally, as far as skill systems go. It seems interesting, like, the, the concept of percentiles, like, gaming. Like, I remember playing WAD and Vampire with you. Mostly Vampire, honestly. Mostly Vampire. Um... And I really liked the, their way of doing, you know, dice manipulation. It's just, hey, you have a, a big pool of D10s, roll them. This is what you're looking for. It's really simple. And, you know, percentile dice is super simple to acquire. So you can you can go running into the, will, into the hills and actually have a story. Yeah, one of the things that I really like, uh, and I'm not a big fan of Call of Cthulhu in, in any regards, except for one of the parts in their skill system, is when you fail a percentile roll. Let's say you're driving an automobile, and you're in a car chase scenario, your percentile roll is, say, 78%, you roll 79, you fail to pull off your maneuver in a high-speed chase, and you fishtail all over an intersection. Enemy catches up on you, and the scene changes from a car chase, to a localized sword fight or some shit. Right. Because you failed your roll. But you have a little check mark on your box. Uh, next to the skill, there's a little check box there, and you check the box. And after the game session, you get to roll your percentile again. And if you roll above 
because that is your target number of your skill. So you roll, say, 83 that time. Your percentile skill goes up by one. Because you used it. Because, not just because you used it, but because you failed at it. You had and a chance to grow. You had a chance to grow. Yeah, so That's you learn through failure. And that is one of the most awesome things about the Call of Cthulhu system, is you learn through failure. So you fail a skill roll, you can roll later on if you fail again, which basically in this case you're succeeding by failing. Fail so forward. Fail, you fail forward. You can only reach a certain maximum, of course. Well, yeah, but... But you always... It, it really encourages players to use as many skills as possible through a game session. Really think-on-your-feet sort of deal. Well, a very think-on-your-feet sort of deal. You know, you look at your character sheet and you're paying attention to your skills constantly because a scenario comes up and you're like, okay, what do I have in this situation that will help? Right. And not all of them will be applicable at all times. No, no, this definitely is, not. This is the nature of things. You know... My biology degree isn't going to help me when I'm dealing with a robot. At exactly. All. <laughs> or, you know, your driving skill is not going to help you out when the uh, campaign is taking you down into some ancient temple underneath the Miskatonic University. Right. Driving ain't helping you there, pal. So, sorry, you're not getting the skill at this game session. And, and at the same time, like, it is a brilliant concept to allow organic growth like that. That yeah. is a phenomenal thing, and I love the idea of it. I think more systems need a Call of Cthulhu-esque system where you do have an organic growth system rather than an experience point system. I do not like experience point systems because just one day you wake up and suddenly you're better than you were the day before automatically in a lot of different things. I, I feel like the only only real re like way to explain that is that eureka moment. Yeah, but you have 19 of them throughout the course of your career. And, you know, it's like, wow, this is how I do this stance. Suddenly, I'm better at cooking because I went to bed and killed <laughs> a lot of shit. It's, it is it is weird to think about, but at the same time, like, if your player is, you know, if your characters, your players, your DM is bringing that aspect to things, it's like, and while you're doing this fight, you, you know, casually think of, hey, goblins do a lot of pickling, I wonder what I could pickle. That could be an exp explanation for how you got better at kicking. There is, like, there is, there's ways to do it, yeah. but it requires a lot of interaction from both the players and the DM to accomplish that. It does. I, I still dings. like, I, I still like organic systems, though. Call of Cthulhu has the most organic skill system I've encountered. I really do love it. Vampire the Masquerade, World of Darkness, and we're talking about the good settings here, not the new stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not even going to talk about the new stuff because I will go into rage mode. Uh, but the older stuff back uh, around D and D, uh, Vampire the Requiem, or bleh, crossing genres here. <laughs> yeah, about Vampire the Requiem era uh, and World of Darkness uh, revised, going back into second edition, basically uh, second through let's see, second, second revised, and third. I would say those are the best iterations because character growth is organic. You get experience points as you level up or as you adventure, and compared to other game systems, it seems way off. You get one experience point for showing up and five experience points for having the best fucking game ever. You're going to average two, maybe three per session. You know, that's not a fair uh, deal there. I mean, it, while it is a fair deal, it's not a fair deal because the really cool shit is super expensive. Unfair, in my opinion. 
I want the cool shit. Of course you want the cool shit. Everybody want wants the cool Everybody shit. That's why cool it costs shit. more. Yeah, it does. And of course, <laughs> That's supply and demand. <laughs> and, and the really helpful skills cost way too much. And it does. It comes out to a point where, um, like, if you're playing a character for, like, a year plus, uh, in a steady weekly campaign, you get to the point where you're like, well, I could raise this skill to level 5, or I could raise my willpower by one point. And then you get to that pick and choose, which do you really want to do? Weighing your options. You start weighing your options a lot. You're like, but as soon as I buy one of these, I'm down like 24 experience points. That's two months of gameplay. I'll be down for raising one dot on my character sheet. One in, point. One point. Character progression in Vampire is a lot more slow. Way more slow than most other systems. I suppose that makes sense, though. Like, when you're talking about, you know, vampires, they live a long time. They, they can afford to take it slow. But most campaigns don't last as long as vampires do. Yeah. Okay. No uh, most campaigns don't even last a fraction of how long a vampire plans to do something. Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe taking the vampire mentality into it is a bit much because players... Or they, not. Players are impatient as fuck. Uh, but I do like the fact that the World of Darkness setting... <laughs> When you get into the character building portion of it, you do get to pick and choose where your character improves. So you may have started out with a basic badass gangrel your very first game session. That, that was, it's a very basic, simple thing to do. A lot of players start out with, you know, like a gangrel or a bruja who's an ass kicker. It's the basic scenario of you start with a fighter in D&D. I'm a fighter. I hit things. I hit things. That's what I do. I got potence so I can hit things harder. I got celerity so I can hit them quicker. And I got presence so I can... Stare them down while I punch them. But later on, you know, maybe your Bruja and the player character as they start uh, experiencing the world and getting in your mix with the lore and the player themselves start getting more and more comfortable with the system, the character may grow into a different route entirely. And I do like the organic feeling, though, that, you know, maybe Asskicker Bruja, two months down the line, but about a year and a half in-game, has decided to take up painting. Fuck it, I need a release. And yeah. Punching people is only getting me so far. Punching people is only getting you so far, and a violent life leads to uh, having a short life. So, yeah, they, you know, the character takes a painting. Well, you got the experience point sitting there, and you can organically grow in that direction. Your character can grow how you choose. And I really do love the, the ability in most games to have an organic system to go that direction. Yeah, it's, you know, conflict is not everything. Social skills are not everything, but... At the same token, these characters still need some way to blow off steam they without do. killing each other. Well, mostly. mostly. I mean, for some for some characters, that is their catharsis is you know beating the shit out of Timmy and his dog. Uh, this is this, in terms of catharsis, it's no different than painting. Uh, well, as far as the systems we've listed so far, um. Because, you know, we should actually get into this part if we still have any listeners at this point. I don't know. This is episode 99. I don't even listen to myself anymore. I just go we on really, the internet. Nah. We really pushing the centenary mark? We uh, we actually just broke a thousand downloads about a month and a half ago. Woohoo, people, notice me, senpai. Um, I mean, there is a bit of that, but I'm, uh, I'm more like... Considering we we're in the middle of a pandemic and nobody's listening to us because nobody's going to work... <laughs> It's still uh, impressive. It's still impressive in its own right. Uh, but with the systems we just went over before, um, I would say the Tristat system, uh, the World of Darkness system, 
are definitely entry-level systems, even before 5e gets put in the mix of saying that they are a entry-level system. They are not. They're more late beginner, intermediate. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If fantasy is your thing, if you like swords and sorcery and spells, it goes with the learning thing. The more interested you are in something, the quicker you are going to learn it. Yeah. So with personality involved, Fifth Ed or even Pathfinder may be your thing because you're going to take that book in the bathroom. You're going to read it while popping the squat. You're going to read it while listening to music. You're going to have it, you know, somewhere in the house and you're going to flip through the pages constantly because that's your thing. You're going to learn a lot quicker. Yeah. It's just like if we take a look at the studio right now, I've got the Pathfinder first edition core rule book. I've got the occult adventures and I've got an ultimate equipment because I'm researching magic items oh he's awake yeah yeah i know it it, it's hit that comfortable temperature and it will be ungodly in about 10 15 minutes maybe we'll see so uh but yeah that's the thing is when you find a system you like you you usually stick to it's good to try other systems i'm trying this 2e thing questionable questionable yeah it i don't know it's the systems can vary and what you do with them can vary a lot like i mean how does it go when you're you're in uh, those older systems like uh, what was it gurps or rifts or any of that okay um <laughs> yeah gurps or rifts or any of that well uh actually that's what the point i was just trying to make uh with some of the systems though i mean just taking emotion out of the equation i know i say this a lot but just looking at it as numbers just like if you're going to plain go text. In, just plate text if you sit down in class and you're like, okay, what are we studying today? If we go into this regard, Silver Age Sentinels, the Tristat system, Big Eyes, Small Mouth, uh, the, uh, well, Twerps. <laughs> twerps is the easiest fucking system ever. Roll a D6, that's your stat. Whoop de shit. Uh, these are the game systems that when you walk in and you take a sit down and you look at the numbers, they're going to be phenomenally easy to learn. You, yeah. You, you're going to have these in a matter of hours. And, and be ready to play And be ready point. to wait. And by the time you feel confident enough to roll a character in these game systems, you will be confident to roll a character. You're like, oh, I feel confident. You know, like I can actually take the car out for a spin. You crack open the book. You lay down a character sheet. And you will just plow through that shit because it, it's laid out in such a manner and tip hat towards the uh, the designers of these games because they definitely knew what they were doing because it, the books are just a walkthrough it's easy breezy they hold your hand the whole way and, and then after at the end of it you're already riding a bike and you're like wait when did you let go yeah when did you let go you're already riding the bike you're already driving the car You've already got the M1 Abrams going across the neighbor's lawn doing donuts. It's all good. <laughs> uh, no escalation there whatsoever. Anyway. Don't worry about it. Don't have to worry about it. Uh, the other thing, though, is like um, like we were just saying, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, actually also a very good beginner's game. Uh, like When I first bought the book, I made a character and even not really paying attention to. I just had an idea that I wanted to create something. You know, so I want to do a thing. I'm going to do a thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a thing. And I looked at what uh, vampire clans were available and went from there. And within about an hour, I was done with the character. And that was only because I was unfamiliar with the system at that time. Now to roll up a basic character, you just hand me the sheet and uh, I'm done with the character in under 15 minutes. I'm good to go. The hard part right now actually is the little shit, not the numbers. 
because there are no numbers to crunch in the World of Darkness system. Mm -hmm. uh, only when you start going into the little shit or making other weird decisions for your characters like merits and flaws does that take any amount of time. Pathfinder, on the other hand, is again another late beginner, early intermediate system. Uh, the old D&D system, GURPS, are high intermediate. Yep. And uh, games like Rifts, Rollmaster, and Cinnabar are definitely for advanced players. Players who have a lot of mathematical acumen will thrive in those systems. At the same time, it's like, I'm glad that I was introduced to Rifts at the stage I'm at now, and not when I was surfed getting in. I got in with, you know, late 3-5, right? Yeah. That's, 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 that was my first functional, or functionally enduring, I should say, experience. Like, I played a little bit of GURPS all of one session. And if I had tried to find rifts at that stage in my life, I probably never would have walked the same path. Oh, the funny thing about GURPS uh, actually is like the game is super simple after you finish your character. Yes. The, the weird part is like character creation is the big hurdle. It is the mountain to climb. Once you get past that, you get past the summit. It is all downhill and smooth sailing. It's like, okay, now we've climbed the mountain, and here's my sled. After character creation, GURPS is a phenomenally fun system to play. It is, it the, is. The character creation, though, is just a fucking nightmare. It's a slog. A it, slog is putting it nicely. <laughs> Uphill, with mud. You ever walked with mud? That shit's heavy. It's like, you know, back in my day, young, fancy, smashy whippersnapper, <laughs> I had to walk home and walk to school in the snow three feet deep all three ways. <laughs> Uphill. Notice he didn't. Uh, I was gonna say. Notice he didn't say uphill. No, no. Oh no, no, no. We didn't do uphill because we had a wagon to go to school in. But every day, one of us had to draw random lots to be the fourth wheel. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the wagon only had three wheels, so we'll, all all of his kids would get together. We'd have to draw lots first thing in the morning to see who would be the wheel. Uphill, all three ways. <laughs> <laughs> that's Rip, or that's uh, yeah, Riffs also, but that's Gerbs for you. Better than what I thought you were saying. Uh, uh goodness. Yeah, uh, but as far as game systems go, for GMs out there, if you're a new GM or you're looking to change systems up, shake things around a bit, I I cannot recommend Vampire the Masquerade or World of Darkness more. I mean, you could still play with the original book out of third edition. So Vampire the uh, Requiem, uh, which is optionable. I mean, you can still go into playing World of Darkness book where you have normal humans doing normal stuff and do a, a completely valid Call of Cthulhu game out of that book. And it is super simple. And to learn the character creation process and learn the system and get the game going, I would say takes four hours. Takes an afternoon. Yeah, that, that seemed about what we did. It's like, once we... Once we sat down, it was like, okay, well, here's the system, and here's how it works in, in practice. Here's your points. Play with your sand. It was, it was, it was pretty much that sort of introduction. It is a very sandboxy game. Uh, Tristat is a little bit more complicated when it comes to actually running the game. Well, yeah, and like, like everything, you know, when you're running the game, you better be on the ball, for one. You better be keeping your shit straight, whatever that means for you. 
But at the same time, you're the one who has to deal with the rest of the world. World or plural. Or worlds, yeah. So, you know, the storyteller, GM, DM, whatever their title is for that particular system, is always going to have a bigger plate to load. Orderly. <laughs> <laughs> See? I think uh, I, I think that was either Call of Cthulhu or Chill. The, the game master was called Orderly. <laughs> Makes sense. If yeah. It, if, you're, if you're dealing with, you know theoretical psychosis patients, an orderly would make the perfect amount of sense. And actually, uh, real quick, just to just to grab the mic from you for a, a quick moment, Chill is also a great game for new players. Uh, I jumped into that back around 98 for a game session, and within the three hours that I played the character that I w uh, was assigned, because the, the, all the characters were pre-gen, I felt I could make a character. Just by playing the one that I was assigned, because I, we were handed brand new characters, you know, that were straight out of the book, and it was a very phenomenally easy system to learn. Hey, we're introducing you to the system, so we're going to do some quick pre-cons. You know, here's here's your fan of cards. Take your it, it wasn't even an uh, introduction to the system. It was just a game session. You walk in, the GM had a storyline, and the whole point was to survive the night Wow! in a haunted uh, movie theater. That was the whole thing, is you just had to survive the night. It was a three-hour game session. So basically, from, say, like, 7 in the evening till 10 p.m. during the game session, every hour of gameplay was actually, like, three hours in-game. Makes sense. So yeah. You're, like, a nine-hour night. Yeah. Crazy so, shit like that. Crazy shit. And the whole point was to survive those three hours and make it out alive in the morning. And by the time the game session ended, I was like, this is a fucking easy system to learn. <laughs> I actually want to buy these books and read into it more. It, it was great. So I'm going to give back the microphone to you. I just had to put in chill there for a moment. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, that game does get special uh, blue ribbon in my book. Yeah, it's, you know, of course the, the storyteller's job is going to be more complex than your average player. But at the same time, actually, especially because of this, you know, they're often the ones who know the system the best, whatever the system is. And they're the ones who are helping their players understand it, which is, you know, a big thing in its own right for some players. Mm, not pointing names. I, I would just have to say, though, uh, just as a counterpoint to what you were just saying, not all groups are going to have an experienced GM. Exactly. And that's why, you know, the, the storyteller is the arbiter. Their job... If they're doing it right, if they're doing it right... Is to make shit up without the players knowing. That too. <laughs> we didn't say that. Hey, Blizzard did. Wait. Bluff? Uh, no, well, uh, again, back to, back to Steve Jackson games, though. Yeah. Cheating is allowed if you don't get caught, because therefore <laughs> it's not cheating. Yep. Thank you, Steve Jackson games. Yep. Uh, but to go on that, though, like, the GM can make shit up. Yeah. The, as the final arbiter, and if it's a brand new group, and... I cannot stress this enough, and it doesn't matter what rule system you're working with, whether it's Pathfinder, Rollmaster, uh, old school Dungeons and Dragons, Bunnies and Burrows, it doesn't matter. Bunkers Bu and badasses. Well, Bunnies and Burrows is a, a GURPS setting, it's actually really kind of fun. <laughs> Just too many people play Peter and Harvey. Anyway, it doesn't matter what system you're playing, if there's a rules call in the book, that is too hard, makes no sense for you and your group, or is just doesn't fit in with the narrative of the setting you're running, shit can it. 
you know, make, house rules are a thing for a reason. It's not so the GM can punish their players or abuse their position. House rules are there so you can make the game more fun. Right. And, you know, D&D uh, 5e, all the D&D books that I've seen have this, you know, rule number one, the DM is always right. Rule number two, see rule number one. But somewhere on that list, this book is a guideline. It is not the ironclad rule set. That's almost in every fucking book, too, and it's great, because when you sit down and you're arguing with rules lawyers, and they're like, well, it says right here on page what's he what, and if you cross-reference this, then the... So, uh, the DM is always yeah. right. The Catman is culpable for uh, treasonous acts using vehicular homicide on this date with these witnesses, and you're like, no, dude, page 187, paragraph 2, read it. <laughs> the GM is always right. Screw you. <laughs> and yeah, case dismissed. It is. It is. You know, I, I can yell at God all I want. God is probably not going to care. Probably not. If he does, and if by some, you know, in its own right, miraculous method, I do get a response, it will be, Nah, bro. Fuck you. Sometimes you don't want to get the attention of the gods. Just ask Xena, warrior princess. She's got like six seasons of being screwed around with by the gods just because she got their attention. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want the gods to show up. <laughs> it's a very valid point. But, you know, if every book that I've seen, and I have not seen a lot of books, I will own this very quickly. But the fact that I every book that I have seen, bar none has stated these rules are a guidepost and listen to your storyteller. Yeah, it's rare you see something that's not in a book that has those exact words. I mean, they'll, they'll paraphrase. They'll say it, you know, the DM is always right or the the arbiter has the final say or blah, blah, blah. They'll, they'll word it their own way, but it will be the same message. Yeah, like they're, you know, like um, pretty much there was one that we were doing and it was the GM has the full right to interpret the rules in whatever the way they want to, uh, which was their way of explaining, you know, sometimes the rules in the books may counteract one another or if later publications come out may completely contradict one another. The GM has final say. That was their way of just saying, hey, the GM can interpret the rules the way he wants to. If the GM wants to rule that the earlier book is the rule set they're going off of or the later book... It's their choice. Right. And and that's that's the wonderful thing about these games is, you know, they understand that every group will be different. And if you and you cannot make a set of rules that will work for one group without also making that same set of rules that someone else is going to go, no, that doesn't work. Fuck that. Yeah, pretty much, you know, it's the same thing. You know, like there's a core set of rules to poker. Everybody abides by those rules. But when you sit down at one poker table, they might be playing five-card stud, Chicago high. That's their rule set for their table. Right. They're playing the game that way, but you sit down at another table, they're playing poker, but they're not playing Chicago high. They don't incorporate those rules. Yeah, it, it's, it, you know. Or maybe they're playing five-card draw. You know, there, right. there's still those little things in there, but that's an agreement... And like a poker table, man, is the same way as a game table. Everybody has their own rules at their game table. Yeah, and, you know, like Goblin was saying, you know, house rules, uh, home, you know, everything in that sort of band of home ruling is as valid as the rules in black and white on paper. 
Yeah. Or uh, whatever source you're looking at it. Well, like I say, it doesn't matter the system, too. It's like you have to have consistency. You know, you have to have that uh, consistent trust between players and the GM. And, like, when I discovered that I was doing a rules call backwards because it was similar to another system that does a rules call in the, the way that I was thinking of, and you guys are making your rolls, and then somebody looks it up, and they're, so, they're like, no, no, you're making the rules call backwards. And I was like, well, we've already done it this way this far. Do I continue making the I mean, This rules call is going to sit the way it is because we're already engaged in combat on the table with the battle map laid out. We're going to finish this combat with the way it is. We're going to finish But after this, that... But after gonna... that, you know, it's it's up to negotiation. Well, we agreed that we were going to continue the tradition because it would cause confusion and just suddenly flip it backwards. And it was just a minor little rules call anyway. What was it? Meets beats? Uh, mm-hmm. It was meter beat or... Yeah, it was meter beat for uh, armor class rules. Yeah, and that has continued on to my gaming table so that you have to beat it, not meet it. Right, and you know, in that's that's a good example. Versus like, uh, let's use let's system hop here, going from Pathfinder to Five E. Meet it or beat it is the standard in Five E. So if I were to bring that mentality, it's gonna take me a little bit to adapt to it, but I'll adapt to it. It's it's the sort of thing. It's like player effect flexibility, storyteller consistency. And transparency. Both of those have to go hand in hand. That's why I now have a big uh, combination whiteboard pin board downstairs that I'll be putting up probably tomorrow. That just has uh, it's gonna have all my house rules and all the stuff they've elected to keep. Oh, everybody knows my house rules right now, and one of them has already been broken. And next game session, you guys are gonna find out about it because I have not dropped that house rule, even though some people said. Tend to think that I have. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I caught somebody with a cell phone out. Oh, yeah. Let me guess. Uh, their hair was multicolored. Yes, their hair is multicolored. I, but I, I'm letting it slide for for two reasons. Uh, the first game session, and that's only because during the first game session, I was basically running four individual sub campaigns sub campaigns within the first one to get the group together. Mm-hmm. So, at that point, somebody having a cell phone out is okay, generally, because they're not going to be involved for 25 minutes. I'm busy working with another player to bring them up to speed, and then I'll move on to another player to bring them up to speed. You know, game session one half, basically. Uh, But now that the entire group is together, you know, I'm going to be like, look, hide that shit, or it's going to be negative XP for everybody. Yeah, and it is definitely one of those good rules to have in our modern day. Because remember when Pokemon Go came out? That disrupted games for months. Shock of shocks. Shock of shocks. I mean, and then not to mention all the other game crazes. Raid Shadow Legends never sponsor us. Never. No. Yeah, hard Um, pass. Hard pass. I would... It would be a very hard call right now. Like, if we were to actually get noticed by some sponsor and, like, get signal boosted, if Raid Shadow Legends walks in the door and they're holding hands with um, TikTok, and both of them are like, we'll sponsor you, we have lots of money. That is a tough call, because it's like, and like how bad do you want to compromise yourself? Yeah. I have a good job, we're not doing it. <laughs> 
But still, you know, like, if, if the situation called that we should have a sponsor or some shit like that, and it was like, fuck me running. Of the two people that would walk in the door, no, man, like... Those are the worst. Those are the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. With East privilege. Point with honors, privileges, mind my pronouns, sir. It has all the colors of the hair. <laughs> Imagine 16 colors you have never seen before. The color from outer space. Exactly. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, that that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about gaming. And sorry, I've had issues. I've Yeah, you've been napping life. half this uh, episode. Well, yeah, that's the most sleep I've gotten in 24 hours. It's um, also fair. Yeah. Uh, if I got pulled out of bed, you have to stay awake. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, but that's one of the things about get, getting a character started in different systems. There's different ways of doing it, and I really like the tri-stat system. Like, it was... You could have a party of four and everyone still be master of a different fucking stat, you know? That is very much true. You could make a... Tristat is really good for character customization. It's actually one of the better ones. Uh, and as much as people like it, because there was a similar system that we did play in a group at the same time, I fucking despise... As much as people love it, I hate Mutants and Masterminds. I will just come out and say, I fucking despise Mutants and Mastermind, and if Burning Books was something that I actually believed in... I would burn that motherfucker so quick it would fucking make the designers' heads spin. <laughs> one, one of the superpowers straight out of the book. No, it, there are certain little things about a point by system that really ruffle my feathers, and you know they, they uh, cocks out for Harambe. But one of the things I found out when thumbing through the book and building my characters how easy it is to fucking rip the system. It, Rules molester. Yes, title the, the, activate. The rules molester title activate. I looked at the rules, and one of the first things that tipped me off as to how broken the Mutants and Mastermind system is. Great, it's easy to learn. It's good for high school kids or college grads, but once you start getting into Post. creative thinking with mathematics, <laughs> you make the GM's life a living hell. <laughs> or if you try to build a, a pure theme character, you'll make your own life hell. But um, I, I just want to put it out here. This is my cell phone, right? This little bastard here cost me 650 bones to get for this little pocket computer that I look up pictures of cats for research purposes. Anyway. Uh -huh. Carry articles. I, I use it for um, reading Navy training documents. Anyway. <laughs> our military listeners will get that reference. Anyway, how... That's about $650 for my cell phone. It's not a small expense. For it is not a small expense, but I can go down to the local shit store where they have big box retail shit all over the place, buy myself a burn phone and a card for minutes and time for about 75 bucks. Cheap and easy. I could also go into the same big box store and buy a laptop for about one grand. Okay, plus or minus, yeah. Plus or minus. And it'd be fairly decent for this era, too. And a fairly decent one at one grand. The thing is, it cost me the exact same amount on the character sheet to buy the burn phone, to buy the phone I'm holding, and buying the laptop. 
it costs the exact same point spread to buy any one of these items. Oh boy. So when you're looking at making money by a point buy system, you're like, I can buy a burn phone or I can buy a laptop or I can buy an Android or I can buy an iPhone. I can buy a gun for the same. I can buy a TV for the same point cost. And what? Something a car here. Is like three. Yeah, a car is like three. Yeah, like the, the point spread. Uh, that's one thing I don't like about point systems is that they uh, standardized. You know, the point cost. Like a car is three, but weren't we just looking up the other day? Or, yeah, we were at the, the place the other day looking up cars that were well within my price range of dirt fucking cheap. That cost uh, yes, less the than the gremlin for the goblin. The gremlin for the goblin. A car that costs less than my phone. But it costs three points in Mutants and Masterminds. But my phone costs one. I'm not going to go farther into this because then we're going to get into power gaming territory. But I'm just saying, just by that factor alone, you can put your foot in the door and start squeezing your way in like the Alpha Dog. But Mutants and Masterminds on its own right, I mean, if you take out the power gaming aspect, I guess it's a decent system. I guess. <laughs> It rankles you because it's too easy. It rankles me because it's too easy and it's down there with uh, Tristat as far as ease. You can pretty much walk into it. It's like D&D with superheroes. And not old D&D. I'm talking like new D&D. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you can have a character done in a few hours, like three hours. The easy breezy if you do it by yourself. First time, no help. No problem. Doable. Doable. All right. I'm seeing triple digits up there. Oh yeah, we've we've been a good bit. All right. But um, but yeah, just my last two cents before we sign off is, if you find a system you like, support that system, even if it's out of print. Support a store that has it. Get yourself a physical copy. Buy the PDFs. Don't go pirating. Don't go using free websites. If you have the ability to buy. Now, if you don't have the ability, considering the times we're in. Then sure, use the PFSRD or Aon or any of those websites. But remember, when you have a chance and you have the opportunity, support a bookstore, a game shop, the people you like by picking up a physical copy or buying the digital. Yeah, and like this, you know, we've kind of been toying around with a lot of system name drops. But Blossomus brings up a very good point. Vote with your wallet. If you like a system, it is worth getting a copy to show that. So that they have that feedback that's like, yes, this is a good product, we should keep making it. Yeah, I stopped voting for Wizards of the Coast a while ago. Quite a while ago. Yeah. And holy shit, my ability to actually buy real food for myself has increased dramatically. It's awesome. Yeah. I was able to take care of half of my debt. Yep. Um, yeah, actually, recently I voted for Palladium Books by sending them money, and this is, um, going on your topic there real quick, this is something that I've argued with with some of the players at my group table for quite some time, is I'd get off on people because they would have, like, all the PDFs on their computer, and I'm like, all we need for this game session is the core book. If you buy a copy, you won't have to borrow mine constantly. Oh! The sin, the sin! You sinner! All right, final thoughts from Kaz? I think whatever system you're getting into, try to learn it. And if you feel comfortable with it, 
it's worth trying to introduce it to others. You never know what they may or may not like. Which, you know, comes with all the good stuff and the bad. And memes. Thanks, guys. Well, no, it, it's the email I got. It, it's out of podcast stuff. But yeah, that's all I've got, guys. I'm Audi. Game Goblin, going back to my crib. Kazakhan, back to the skies. you guys, I'm going home.